not the microphone, it is I. Um, I have been tested for, I think, everything. We don't know what's wrong, but yeah, I'm sick. Um, or I have been, a better way of putting it. I can tell you this, I don't have flu, I don't have COVID, I don't have strep throat. Um, some of that, but it happened, uh, it started Thursday of last week. I had to go to one of my other pharmacies uh, to cover because of COVID for two days. It was too quick to catch it from them, but then I came back and then I kind of went down. I haven't ran a fever since Saturday, but I am still a little cruddy, so uh, my apologies for that, and I'll have a cough drop in my mouth all night, so if you ever can't hear me because of that, my apologies on the front end, uh, but we will get through it. Along those lines, I know we have a long prayer list. Uh, Brother Jim handed me one before, uh, before I got started. I'll read over that and then ask the, the audience for, for additional prayer requests. Uh, first off, uh, the family of Craig Glenn, uh, the visitation is Friday from 5.30 to 8 at Boonville Funeral Home. And then again, um, looks like from 10 to 11, that will be at the, build, at the Boonville Church building uh, that on Saturday. And then the funeral will be at 11 a.m. or Saturday uh, here at the church. I'll repeat that again because I kind of botched it. So visitation 5.30 to 8 at Boonville Funeral Home on Friday. On Saturday, there'll be a visitation from 10 to 11 at the church immediately before the funeral, uh, which is at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Uh, Linda Beard and Virginia Mormon both had a heart cath. Uh, they're unable to be stented, and so they have to review what their options are uh, with medications and other things. So keep both of them in your prayers. Uh, Joyce Morris has got a lot of tests she's fixing to have to go through, uh, having a hard time. Keep her in your prayers. Uh, Joan Mormon is recovering uh, from a shoulder uh, injury or surgery. I'm not really sure which one I wrote there. And then Toy Farr uh, asked us to, or really said to let y'all know, thank you for the prayers. He is doing significantly better uh, from his uh, fight with COVID. Uh, he says prayers work. So if he wants to say appreciate that and also let the church know he's doing better. So that's the sheet that I have. So now who do you have that I haven't mentioned so far? Uh, Yep, I see you now. Melvin Davis, okay. Okay, thanks for letting me know. That's Melvin Davis, member of IUCA. Uh, actually bought not my first truck, actually my second truck from Melvin. Uh, but anyways, uh, had a light heart attack and he's in the hospital at Tupelo. My son Jamie. Jamie? Yeah. Yeah, that's a little Uh, it was the last surgery that projected the body. The body was projected the stitches, so he had to go back in. Okay. Back to the All right. So keep, keep Jamie in your prayers. 
James Garner. You want that? James Garner. James Garner has a is that gallstone. James Garner, no, he's got some cancer that he's returned. I'm sorry, I totally misunderstood that. Oh, both ears are falling, so I can't hear anything tonight as well. James Garner, you can't hear your first. Okay, because of cancer, he's murdered. Okay. Yes, in the back, I see you now. Okay. I heard Davis, Uncle, and Tony. That's the three words on the guy. Otis. Otis Davis. Isaac. Otis. 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 I got it now. I tell you, this building was meant for one way transmission. It's from here to there. From there, it doesn't work at all. And it is clear that I'm going to stop up and I'll follow all this. It's like it's echoing tonight. All right, sorry about that. Very familiar, okay? Everybody's afraid to call anything now. If I make a talk in five minutes, I can't hear you. All right, let's go to our God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for the ability to bring our petitions before you. We have had many names called out tonight, Heavenly Father, with various ailments. We also know there are many in our number uh, from this congregation that have COVID and others that are around uh, and extended out from this congregation that also are fighting the disease. But Lord, we're thankful this current variant is not quite as serious as the variants we have faced in the past. And we pray that it will help our immune systems to get over uh, this virus. And Lord, we pray that you will be with all those that are sick and afflicted with other things or are facing other various health ailments, that you will help them to uh, return to their normal walks of life. Be with those that have lost loved ones, just the Glenn family. I pray that you will comfort them and bless them, Lord. Pray that you'll be with each one in this class tonight, Heavenly Father, that you will bless them for studying your word, that you will help us to look at your word, be better examples, and equip ourselves uh, for battle as we go out into, into the communities, Lord. Lord God, we pray that you will watch over uh, all those uh, that are facing various decisions in their life in the next coming weeks for a variety of reasons. We pray that you'll always help give them wisdom that they need. Pray that you'll be with this church. Pray that you'll help it to continue to grow. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. So, I want to apologize to the class that this class kind of got disjointed over the last several weeks. Um, I was sick one or twice, once or twice now, and then also I had a work thing that came up unexpectedly. Uh, so, you know, I think I called the devil out on technology, and technology went away. And now it's scheduled. You know what I mean? Like, that's the way it works, right? And so if we look at that, where we will always have reasons and always have things, but the good news is, is the class will continue regardless of what happens, and I appreciate Guy filling in for me on what was in less than 24-hour notice, and so I know Guy did an excellent job with class. But as you recall, the subject we were talking about specifically was sexual immorality and fornication. And the first week, and I should be on like week five of this, and I'm actually, I'm personally on week three of this, the first week, the big point I made was that we undersell marriage. That marriage is looked down upon in America. We mock it. We insult it. Uh, we do not brag about it or talk about that it is actually a good institution to be in. And I said, we as Christians need to change that. And the point I was trying to make through all of that was why would anyone want to join 
up with marriage if no one talks good about it. And then from that, we talked about that the good Lord designed the sexual act to be done between two married individuals. And we defined that very early on uh, within the class. And we talked about how that too should be something that our youth knows happens between married people. And that is not a sin or a bad thing to talk about. And I talked about how I don't blush about that subject. And then I think the reason I want to make sure I bring those two issues up. If you don't talk about the good before you talk about the bad, all you're doing is removing things from people's lives. One thing that was unique about my, the way my parents raised me is once I got to where I had keys to a car, which back then was 15 years of age, I no longer had to ask my parents' permission to go somewhere. I know that blows your mind, right? I know it blows your mind. But this was my mom and my dad's logic behind that. They said, we need to know where you're going and who you're going to be with, and this is basically, they gave me parameters. If it falls within these parameters, you can do it. And this was my mom's reasoning. Specifically moms, because she talked the most. If you know my parents, you understand what I'm saying. Um, this is what she said. As a Christian, you have to say no to enough in this world. So I'm going to say yes to everything I can that's not sinful. I'm going to say that again. As a Christian, you have to say no to enough in this world. So I'm going to say yes to everything I can that's not sinful. I never have understood why we want to be stricter than what the Bible is. There is no reason to be stricter than the Bible, but I find we in the church do that all the time. So if we try to be stricter or act as though sex is only bad, we are doing a disservice to our youth. And by the way, the, the, the strategy we have used, it, it, it is not working. It is not working. And so we have to change how we battle this particular ailment. So that was week one. Week two, we went into, okay... Why is sexual immorality bad? And when I went through that class, we walked through 1 Corinthians 6, and then I got to the very end, and I don't like ending class on a point that I think is extremely important. But sometimes that's the way classes need to end, because when you really drive home that last point, that's the last thing everybody thinks when they leave. Unfortunately, because I had to make an unexpected trip out of town, I wasn't able to immediately revisit that with the class. So the point I was making at the very end of that, that particular class, which is the one I want to drive home, is God says at the end of 1 Corinthians 6 that when you are joined with Him, you are joined with His Spirit. He even doubles down on that and says, you have become one flesh with the Lord. Now that one flesh should ring a bell if you listen to me in week one where we talked about the husband and wife where God described the husband and wife as one flesh. They're one flesh or one spirit. They're together. They're one flesh. When you join Christ, you are one flesh or one spirit. So look with me in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16. I just want to make sure we drive this point home, because if we don't get this point driven home, I think we are failing to understand and failing, we won't be able to teach our, the people we care about why sexual immorality is a big problem. It says, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? So what's the analogy? The analogy is someone that has a prostitute clearly un, 
undisputable. No one denies that this is not the, the way God designed the sex act to occur. He says, if he chooses to do that, he has been bound in his body to the prostitute. So that's where the analogy starts. And then it says, for as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Now, God was actually talking about something, I believe, before the human race had gotten the technology to understand what that actually meant. That the two actually do become one flesh. And that intermingling of bodily fluids. Now, we now today understand exactly what that means. And we also know there is a whole set of diseases that only occur because of that one thing. Alright, that is what God's talking about there. Verse 17, it says... But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. In other words, if you have put on Jesus in baptism, if you, are, if you have become a Christian, you are now one spirit in Christ. Christ is a part of you. You are a part of Christ. What's the analogy? Have sex with a prostitute? Congratulations, you've now got prostitute inside of you. The opposite though, join Christ, you now have Christ in you, Christ is now a part of you. You're a part of Him. That's the positive. But what happens when you mess it up? Well, let's keep reading. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Hmm. We know that sin has a series of punishments. And I mentioned that there are a series of diseases that follow due to sexual sin. There is a litany of them. And all of them are terrible. But you don't have to worry about any of them if you just do it the right way. You follow God's pattern. You don't have to worry about hepatitis for the most part. There are a few that are transmissible another way. But for the most part, no hepatitis, no HIV, no gonorrhea, no chlamydia, no syphilis, and all the various sub-entities of each of those. None of that. All you got to do is follow the right way. By the way, that's a really good way to teach the youth. I mentioned everyone told me to teach the youth. You need to bring that up. You never have to worry about any of that if you and your spouse make it a, make it a point to just follow God's pattern. You don't even have to worry about those things. It's not going to happen. It's never going to affect you. So he says it's against the body. Now that is, the reason I use STDs is because I think it is something that's very easy for us to understand. Now of course, you can be sexually promiscuous and not contract an STD, but it's a perfect, to me, analogy to show that sometimes you become one flesh with things you don't want. And that's the way this works. But let's keep going because he explains it even further. He says, verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Now, I'm going to stop right there because I want to make sure you understand this. Because if I had missed this point, everything else I'm fixing to say, I've failed as a teacher. He says, when you put on Christ, 
You have been joined with Christ. You've become one spirit with Christ. Then he says, the only sin that is inside of you is sexual immorality. Why does it being inside of you matter? Sin is sin, right? We love to teach that. Sin, sin, doesn't matter what it is. But that's not what this says. It actually says there's a difference. What's the difference? I'm going to scare you to death. And if this doesn't scare you, I have failed you as a teacher. It says it's a big deal because it's inside of you because the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Which means you're doing this act with Christ quite literally in the room, present in your body. In other words, you are going to be guilty of an example we're going to show in numbers in just a second. But you literally have taken the inside, your temple. We are in a church building right now. We don't use the word temple. We're the body of Christ. We are inside of this. Could you imagine if someone came up here and literally had sex in the front of this building while those cameras were rolling? What would you do? Would you leave? Would you blush? Or would you stop it? Now, as a, you think it's a ridiculous analogy. That is exactly what he's saying happens in Corinthians when you do this individually when no one else is around. Now, how can I be so confident in that? He says at the end of verse 19, Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, continuing that marriage relationship, Jesus said in Matthew, there is one reason, one reason that you can put away a spouse for another. And what is that one reason? Fornication. In 1 Corinthians, we're told sex is inside of your body, inside the temple of God. You committed adultery on Christ when you did that. You read further back in this same thing, it says Christ can't be joined to a prostitute. There is a reason why God said that's the one. That's the one that I absolutely will not tolerate. Because now you have taken the very thing he designed for us at the creation of our beings. Remember, God told us at the very beginning in Genesis, you are to be fruitful and multiply, and you're to take care of my people. And you have taken the one thing he designed for you to do, and you linked him to a prostitute when you committed. Now that may be more blunt and more brutal than anybody you have ever heard teach a Sunday school class or a Wednesday night class. But I don't know another way to teach 1 Corinthians 6 because when I read it, that's the only connections my brain's allowed to make for some reason. So if that embarrassed you or made you blush, I apologize. But the examples I gave you just now actually happened. Not in this building that I know of, but they happened. And you're going to think I'm a liar. Well, let's just keep going. Flip over real quick to 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 8. Just a couple pages in your Bible. He revisits this subject again. 1 Corinthians verse 10 and verse 8 says, We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. 
and 23,000 fell in a single day. I'm sorry, what? What in the world is he talking about? He said, we can't practice sexual immorality like some of them, referring to some people that we don't know what he's talking about. And over 20,000 died in a single day. What is he talking about? Well, flip over to Numbers 25. And I don't know how I never got told this story in grade school. To my knowledge, I have never heard this story preached from the pulpit. Now, I probably have, but I don't think I ever have. Numbers 25. I didn't get taught this in third and fourth grade. I didn't get taught this in fifth and sixth grade. I didn't get taught this in high school. Never heard it in college. But God doesn't shy away from discussing sin. And I proposed a situation to you. I said, what would happen if a couple came in here right in front of you in the body of Christ and started having promiscuous sex directly in front of us? What would you do? Well, let's see if that's ever happened. And you're thinking I'm crazy. But if we want our teenagers to listen to us, we need to start teaching Numbers 25. Because I think our culture is about to get back to this point. We are so numb to it, we don't even see it anymore. Well, listen to this. Numbers 25, it says, While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. Okay, whore, prostitute, Jonathan, I get it. You, you made the two connections. No, that's, mm, that's just the intro. We're going we're to develop the whole story. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So when Israel goes to this place, they begin to intermingle with the people. And those people say, hey, y'all go to church? So do we. We got gods. Come over here and check out our gods. And they go. And they intermingle and they eat with their, before their gods. And they bow down before their gods. They're committing adultery. idolatry. God hates idolatry. But it keeps going. So the Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord. I'm just going to stop right there and let that sink in. God says, I want you to take these people that have committed these heinous acts, that have attached themselves to Bella Peor, and I want you to hang them in the sun before me. Why? Now this just sounds like a few people, because he says the chiefs and the and it doesn't sound like that many people this is going to affect. But that verse finishes with, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. In other words, he says, I am so mad at you. If I don't see a strong response, I don't know what I'm going to do to you. You ever been that mad at your kids? I need 15 minutes. You're going to go in there, and I'm going to figure out what we're going to do to you in a minute. Now, I just made a very human analogy, but listen to what God said there. He said, you hang them before me in the sun 
so that my fierce anger may turn away from you. You don't want God that mad at you. This is a big deal. Let's keep reading. Oh, and by the way, if we taught that God got this angry about sexual immorality, we might listen to it a little more. Or we just don't have fear of God. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to the bell of Peor. So Moses gives the order. You do it. Start hanging them high. Now I don't know if they were on crosses, if they were hung by their necks. I have no idea. But in my mind, I have a western. I don't know why, but that's the image I have. But my mind is only capable of four, maybe six, maybe eight men because every movie I've ever watched, there's been three, four, six, or eight people hung. Now, you just realize, you don't realize your brain does stuff like it compartmentalizes. That's not how many people died this day. This ain't three, four, six, or eight. He goes, you hang them all. Each of you kill those men who've yoked themselves. Verse 6, and behold, one of the people of Israel, listen to this. They are actively killing people for the sins they have committed. And it says, And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses. Which means I can see any one of you in this building right now. This is in sight. This is how close he was. In the sight of Moses, he brought this woman inside of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They're in church, folks. And he walks in this woman and takes him into his tent to have sex with her. Now I'm going to draw that conclusion because of what happened next. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose. This is one of those stories of the Bible that is gruesome and gory. And I don't, I'm not saying this is the one I want to see on my TV screen. But this comes to such reality for me when I try to tell this story. That I'm sitting there, and you can almost see Moses like, Y'all seeing this? And Aaron's frozen. No one can even believe the absurdity of what they're seeing. The lack of fear of God. Phineas walks over and just picks up a spear. And everyone watches this. Why? I want you to think about the last time someone fell out in church. Think about that. No matter what the preacher says or how, or how animated they get, if someone falls out midway, ain't nobody listening to the preacher. Everyone's there and the person just fell out. There is not a soul in that congregation that says they were all there. They were weeping in the tent, and they watched this. It says, when Phineas, son of us, he saw it, he rose, left the congregation, took a spear in his hand, and went after the man of Israel into the chamber, and listen to this, with one single spear, there ain't but one act you can be doing where this works. And pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. 
Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. And what stopped it was when some person that did not respect God brought that into the face of the people and they saw it the way God sees it. So that's the thing about sexual immorality. It's the Christian sin because you typically are alone or only with one other person when it happens. It's the private sin. But this example happened right in front of them where they saw it with the same vision that God sees it. And what was the reaction? Phineas takes a spear and runs it through both of them at the same time. And God says, I'm going to paraphrase, I'm good now. Because of Phineas. Not because the 24,000 people have been hung high in the air, but because Phineas took action. The point I want to get to with you is sexual immorality has become so rampant and so common in our society that I'm afraid it may take an act like that for us to see it in God's eyes again. We laugh at it. We ignore it. But as God says, or, or Paul says, yes, ma'am. Reminds me of when, as far as God's anger is when He's looking down on us now, and He sees so much sin, and He even went far enough to put a rainbow in the sky to keep him from coming down and done and destroying the world again. He was so angry. So I'm going to paraphrase what Miss Marilyn just said. She said, it puts it into perspective how God sees sin. And I, I think the point I want to drive home is the same one you're making, that God sees sin in the first person. We don't, but God does. He's there. He's omnipresent. He's in the room. He sees it. And he had to put a rainbow in his cloud to remind him to do it. And I'm not trying to be melodramatic here, but I see a lot more rainbows, or at least I notice them a lot more now than I did when I was a kid. And it bothers me. I'm like, is he having to remind himself that often? We're talking Genesis about that. No, yeah, the bow of the cloud was not for us. The bow of the cloud was to remind God that He wasn't going to destroy us by water again. Keep Him back. But if we see sin in the first person, the way God sees it, one, it should be gross to us. It should be gross to us. It should make us angry. And we should be like Phineas. We should take action. Now before you do something crazy like pick up a spear and run it through somebody, you're not the son of a priest. Disclaimer. I'm going to put that in text on the, on the, on the, on the feed. What are our weapons? We went over those in very early on. Right? We have the sword. We have the shield of faith. We have these things. So now we're going to go to a scenario. This is the scenario that you're going to have for the next three, four minutes before we end with a five-minute conversation and then start class, or start the Devo, or get ready for the Devo. You learn, through no fault of your own, nor deliberate actions of your own, 
that someone you know is actively having an affair on their spouse. You know both spouses. You know the man and you know the woman. What do you do? You have three minutes and then we'll share with the class. Three minutes. So if you're watching at home, think about that. What would be your actions? What would you say? How would you approach a subject? You talk to the adulterer? You talk to the non-adulterer? How do you handle the situation? And this is real, by the way. This really happens. Actually, I was getting on our Facebook page to see if anybody had said anything on the live chat. And I noticed that Laura Galloway said her uncle had been in an accident where a tree fell on him that he was cutting. And uh, so look at Facebook's feed. See that. Keep that family in your prayers. He's, he needs your prayers. He's still alive. I mean, but it's obviously a serious accident. It was Laura Galloway's uncle. Uh, I can't remember the name. I should have written it down. But, but it's, on our, it's on our Facebook feed. And it was one hour ago, so, you know, it was fairly recent. All right. Who wants to share first? Adam. Well, in that, in that case, uh, I've unfortunately had to deal with this in my own family uh, not that long ago, actually. Uh, first and foremost, talk to the offender. Give them an opportunity to confess and to, and then seek reconciliation. I think sometimes we miss, again, Jesus' teaching, which you cited. Sometimes I think we miss that reconciliation is an option. 
Divorce is not commanded in that case, Correct. but it is an option when all else fails. Yes. Yes. So the second what he said, he said, he had an unfortunate experience dealing it with his own family, and he said, you go to the offender first. Give them a chance, uh, one, to confess, make, get that sin out of their life, and then also to make an attempt at reconciliation. I want to bring out something that we did not say. There is a pattern, a biblical pattern. I deliberately looked for it in this example. There's a pattern of who you're supposed to go to. It is not the offended. It is the offender. Okay? Going the opposite direction is gossip. Okay, you may want to let them know, but technically, if you're following God's pattern, you should go to the person with the sin. If that person does not respond, you take someone else with you and have that conversation a second time with more witnesses. He said, you always attempt that. He said, he also mentioned that divorce is not commanded. It is an option. I will second that as well. It's absolutely the case. I will say this too. I've seen people almost go the opposite of that, though, too, is, oh, they say that, that is, that's the better option, to reconcile. I say neither. I'm neutral. Why am I neutral? I'm not the one that was offended. It's their call. God says it's legal. I'm not getting in their business. Don't get in someone else's business would be a guidance I would give you. Talk to the offender. What else? Anyone else have a situation like this or have some thoughts about this line? I wish someone had told me. I said, I wish someone had told me. Wish someone had told you. Yes, not. And the way he said. The way he said, right. The offender first. And then if it didn't. Yeah. And I, think, I know I would probably get mad at someone, just like I would be afraid to do the same thing, the same thing. Absolutely. So, so the pattern, what she was saying was she wishes they would have gone to the offender first, uh, but then she wouldn't have been left in the dark if that pattern hadn't been followed. In other words, if they hadn't made right with their sin. And I think in that situation, I don't think there's any road where confession is not required to the spouse, by the way. I don't, if I'm being blunt, I don't know why, because you're one flesh. I don't think there's anywhere where you can be like, well, I confess it to God. Me and God are good. Oh, no. Because that person has a right to know because you became one flesh with them. And I can't do something to one part of my body and the rest of my body not know that. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely follow the pattern. Uh, but if, I think if you go through that, the steps that we're given at that point, I think the offended has a right to know. Absolutely. Yes, Jim. After helping the person uh, see where the road that they're on is going to lead, both short-term and long-term, Congregation here has resources available. Now, we have Sheila Baby on the payroll. Yep. A very good counselor. And sometimes you can, you may not be able to work through that discussion completely yourself, but there might be a resource that you can promote the person to. Excellent points. Brother Jim mentioned that we have resources at the congregation. If you can't fully have or work through that situation, because this, this is a, it's a massive deal, and this happens to a family or to a, to a couple. So, we have Sheila Beatty. We have other resources here. You have other Christians. My, my only guardrails around that is it better be the use of a resource and not a gossip. That's my only guardrail. You better be going to fix the problem, not talk about the problem. Always keep that in mind um, whenever you do this. But absolutely, do not forget, we have resources. We have ministers. We have elders They're in this congregation that can help you through these situations and help you through these conversations. You may want to have the conversation may not know how. That's why they're wiser and older than we are. Listen and get information from them as well. That is 30 seconds before 7.40 and the end of my class. I thank you so much for your attention. I hope you have a great week.
It is time for us to go and get started tonight if we can, and we're going to begin tonight uh, with a few announcements. First of all, we are so glad that you're here tonight. I hope you've enjoyed your period of Bible study as I have, and it's always encouraging at midweek to come together like this and uh, to study God's Word and to enjoy fellowship, to build one another up, and uh, that's one of the tremendous blessings we have of assembling like we are tonight. A few announcements I want to make. First of all, regarding the sick, we still have several out that are dealing with COVID and other kinds of flus and viruses, so uh, be checking up on those as you can to encourage them. Uh, Linda Beard and uh, Virginia Mormon uh, had heart cast this week, and both of them still are kind of waiting uh, for some answers, some definite courses of action, so let's remember them in our prayers. Also, uh, Jimmy Dryden. Uh, this is an elder at Leoma, uh, Tennessee, uh, was hurt in a logging accident today, and uh, we want to remember him in our prayers. It's not life-threatening, but it's still some serious injuries, and uh, we want to pray for him. Also, Joyce Morris really needs our prayer. She's dealing with some serious health issues at this time, and she wants us to pray for her. Uh, we want to express our deepest sympathy to the family of Craig Glenn, who passed away yesterday, visitation for the Glenn family is going to be on Friday evening from 5.30 until 8 at the Boonville Funeral Home. And, of course, visitation again on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. here at the building with the funeral to begin at 11. And I do want to remind you, this is very important, there's going to be a meal provided for the Glenn family after the funeral on Saturday. And so there is a list, a sign-up sheet, uh, on the table in the foyer for you to sign up to bring food uh, following uh, the funeral for the Glenn family. Also, this is a reminder that uh, we will have a World Evangelism Work Day on Saturday the 28th in Winona. Details are in the bulletin, but uh, you can sign up in the foyer. Also, there's a baby girl shower gift table in the foyer uh, for Laney Jumper. Uh, details about that are also in the bulletin. Uh, the food pantry item for this week is vegetable oil. I want to remind you about Sunday night again. Uh, we'll begin with kids sing at 5 o'clock before we go into our, uh, our Bible classes, so be here for that. The food bank uh, will be open tomorrow uh, beginning at 9 o'clock. Also, you're encouraged to pick up a bulletin from any of the doors so you can check on or you can check on our website. And it says, if you'd like to receive the bulletin, just leave your information in the church office. For our devotional tonight, Turner Gibson is going to be leading our singing, and uh, Stephen Hodgen is going to be leading our prayer. Invitation song tonight will be 915, Trust and Obey, 915. The first song we'll be singing is Years I Spent in Vanity, 381. Oh, I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. 
apart and there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Tonight, just briefly, I want to emphasize our access to God. You know, access to God, for us, I think, is a lot like 7-Eleven used to be. You know, 7-Eleven is open 24-7, isn't it? Now, I like to go to Love's. If I'm going on a trip somewhere, if I see that Love sign, man, I'm stopping in. I just like to go in that store. It's open 24 hours. Uh, it's a shame one's not close by, but... You know, we like convenience stores. If you run out of milk or if you run out of bread and it's an odd time of the night or day, you can always go to the 7-Eleven. You know, the idea would be that when everything is closed, you've got a convenience store that's always open that can meet your needs. And, you know, when the original suppliers have already gone home and gone to bed, you can always go to a convenience store and you know that, They'll always be open for business. But I want us to point out tonight that God, I believe, is always open and accessible. God is always ready for business. You know, there's never a time when we will go to his throne room and the door's locked. There's never a time when we will go to the throne room and his lights are out or he's not present. And the wonder of it, of, all, of it all is, is we can take anything we desire to God in prayer. James 5 and verse 16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Luke 18 verse 1, Jesus said that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. A lady one time came to a well-known preacher of the last century, G. Campbell Morgan, and she said, I only take the big things to God. I just don't really bother him with the little things. And Morgan looked at the lady and said, Ma'am, anything you bring to God is little to him, even if it's big to you. And I want us tonight to remember that. We live in a world of uncertainty. We live in a world of discouragement. You look at what's going on in our world and, of course, we realize and understand that God is in control and a lot of times we seemingly are overwhelmed with problems and difficulties in life. And we need to understand there's no problem that we have that's too large for God to handle. God can handle anything. And that's why we need to take advantage of the opportunity God has given us to approach him in prayer. 
24-7. But you know, that blessing is only for those who are children of God. It's only for those who are faithful children of God. And tonight we're going to sing a song of encouragement. And it may be that there's one here tonight who has allowed sin to take over their life. Maybe uh, you need to come tonight and ask for forgiveness, acknowledging your wrongs. We can, we can go to God in prayer on your behalf. Or maybe tonight you're not a child of God and you don't know the blessing of being able to call upon God as your father through difficult times. That can all change tonight if you're willing in simple trusting faith to repent of your sins, to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God with your mouth. You can be baptized into Christ tonight for the remission of your sins. And so tonight, if you're subject to the invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. <coughs> when we walk with the thanking you for the opportunity that we have to come together and study your truth and worship you and be before your throne in prayer, knowing, Father, that you are the Father of lights, you are the Father uh, of those who have become your children through Christ. Thank you, Father, for that salvation. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your love. Father, we especially ask tonight that you'll be with all of those of our number and beyond, beyond the scope of our knowledge, those who are hurting, those who are sick, those who are facing uh, medical procedures, and those who are facing the transition and sadness of death. Father, I pray that you will bless them as only you can, in accordance to your knowledge and accordance to your will. 
And Father, as we do our best to live our lives the rest of this week as you allow it, may our feet always walk in the path that you have lain before us. May our hearts always be open to your truth. May our hands always be ready and willing to, to work that which is your plan. In your son's name we humbly and obediently pray. Amen.